0: Hello everyone, and welcome to The Chit Chat. I'm Jeremy Roberts with Rebecca Rison, and our special guest today, Dr. Mark Showalter. Dr. Showalter is a Clinical Assistant Professor of Leadership and Counselor Education here at the University of Mississippi. He spent the previous 20 plus years as a counselor and administrator working with college students and their families. He's taught students from preschoolers all the way to graduate students, and has done a numerous amount of workshops and presentations on a variety of topics. His area of interest include a focus on developing the counseling relationship as well as the personal experience of the counselor during the counseling process, some of which we're going to discuss on today's show. So without further ado, welcome to the Chit Chat, Dr. Mark Showalter. Thank you.
1: Good to see you. Um, we are excited to have you on the show. And, Happy to uh, Good, well, we, we're thrilled. And, you know, we'd love to start off kind of like, tell us about you, Dr. Showalter. What five words describe Dr. Mark Showalter?
0: Yeah,
2: well, thank you again. It's really, really nice of you two to invite me to be a part of this, and I'm really honored. <clears throat> you know, um, five words. You know, the first word that comes to to mind for me is I'm a lucky, lucky guy. I have been incredibly lucky professionally, um, personally, but you know, since this is really about my professional life, so many fortunate things have happened to me just because uh, people were very kind to me and I happened to be in a place at a particular time and opportunities were given to me, frankly, that had very little to do with, with me. And so when I look back on my professional life, I just feel so, fortunate because when I look at uh, different people who came along at different times who took an interest in me, um, who were willing to be mentors to me, who were kind to me when I didn't have any idea what in the world I was doing, who, who uh, were uh, open to helping me see what I could, was possible for me. Uh, so I feel really, really, really lucky. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's as I sit here right now at the end of my career, uh, I look back on it and I think, gosh, how did this even happen? And mostly I think about being really a fortunate, fortunate person. Uh, and I think within that, you also get an idea. I'm not really a great planner. And so <laughs> I, I'm kind of uh, kind of open to whatever happens to me. And so uh, that flexibility has probably worked well for me, uh, not when it came to getting things accomplished, but when it came to being opened up. And so I don't know those are, those are a couple of things that I think about and kind of, I don't know if that's not not quite five words, but those are the kind of things I think I think of when I think about me and things that have happened to me professionally. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, we know that you have a lot of experience as a counselor. Did you always want to become a counselor? That is a great question, Jeremy.
2: I am a great object lesson for people who don't know what they want to do in life. And so I, I know, I did not know I wanted to be a counselor. In fact, I was, in my 30s and didn't even know that counseling existed as a profession. And um, one of the things that has always been true for me is that I have just really not had plans and goals about my professional life. I I love talking to people who say, oh, by the time I was 18, this is what I wanted to do. And I set this thing and I got to this. And I think that's wonderful, but that's not how it was for me. I started in college as an accounting major because my girlfriend's brother was an accounting major. And I thought, hey, that sounds like something to do. And I was As I tell people, it turns out I was no account when it came to that. And then I I, uh, drifted into uh, elementary education because I've always liked children. But it's a good example of how lucky I was. I took a class in special education, a wonderful teacher who was so kind to me. And I think that's part of what began to help me get interested in the idea of what I thought I wanted to do was help people, especially when they were struggling with things. And so I taught school for a little while. Uh, I actually did a master's degree in special education. I worked um, in a in a, uh, a, uh, a children's home for a while. I worked with kiddos who were <clears throat> struggling, and I guess what I found for me is that the theme that ran through that is that I I really really enjoyed being with people at different difficult times in their lives and trying to figure out how I might help them. Uh, As a teacher, I wasn't really very good at teaching in terms of, you know, running the classroom, but I thought I did a pretty good job of getting to know the kiddos. Uh, And so uh, in my, you know, early 30s, well, this is another thing, I was lucky I met a guy who was a counselor. He so impressed me and I loved the way he was in the world and I loved how he interacted with people and I thought, you know, I think that's something I want to do and it made sense to me. And so that's when I went back to graduate school and ended up kind of finding my way a little bit. Um, but I had people who were sort of helped me get that. So the idea of being a counselor really just came about because, um, again, I got some really great direction. And I think also I was in a place where I was able to, to sort of uh, be lost for a while and wander around and kind of find a good fit for me. And, <clears throat> you know, that's I when I talked to college freshmen or, or sophomore, any college student who says, gosh, well, I don't know what I want to do. And I'm like, yeah, I get that, you know, and I don't know that we have to. Uh, so for me, I think um, it was really a question of sort of uh, wandering around and trying to find uh, a fit for me. So uh, my career as a counselor kind of came about it was sort of uh, I stumbled into it like most things in my life.
1: So in, in, in terms of counseling, the counseling process, you know, there's mm-hmm. uh, mental health support career counseling support on campus and in the community. And I think right. a lot of students are maybe who haven't heard of, maybe they've heard of counseling, but they're like, what is counseling? Right. Um, and the notion can kind of be scary to those who are, who haven't been to counseling before. So can you define, you know, tell us about what counseling is, what it isn't. Next. Uh, yeah. kind
2: of right. I think that's a great point, Rebecca. Because um, even though I think we are more open to getting mental health c- counseling, therapy, whatever it is, than we've ever been, I think there's still some stigmas and some fear that's around the notion of counseling. What's going to happen to me? Is my counselor going to do something to me? Am I going to have to, you know, be in some weird situation? <laughs> and so um, it is. It is a. It makes sense that it's still a scary and uncertain thing. Uh, as I've gotten through my professional life, my idea about what it means to be a counselor and what counseling is has, has evolved but the place that I am right now is that what I would tell anybody is that <clears throat> no one has has gotten through life by themselves. None of us have made it through anything alone <laughs> you know whether it was uh, in our you know in our school, whether it was in our personal life, whether it was in trying to find a job, whatever we were doing, People have always been helpful to us, whether it was our family, our friends, our teachers, our coaches, somebody at our church, whoever it was. And so, when we are in challenging times, especially, that's when I think we need someone else to talk to, someone else to help us get a better sense about what we're doing, to help us remind us that we're not in this by ourselves. And so, what I would tell people is counseling, going to see a counselor for whatever the topic is, whether it's you know, I'm struggling in school, so I need academic support, or I don't know about a career, so I'm going to talk to someone there. I'm trying to decide on a major, whether it's, you know, personal issues, whatever it may be. I think the the idea is that we're going to go have a conversation with someone, and they're going to get to know us, and they're just going to have to help us figure out, you know, what are our options? How do we, um, how do we begin to figure things out a little different? And also just to give us a new perspective on So I think, the idea of, of counseling that makes the most sense to me is that it's and it's, it's a place where uh, two people can sit together and if i 'm doing a good job as a counselor i 'm going to create a place that's safe for them, and that if a place is safe enough and they feel uh, comfortable enough, then they start to trust me a little bit, and if they trust me more, then they'll allow themselves to be a little bit more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think when we become vulnerable with someone else, it becomes easier to tell the truth and to get to those things that really uh, matter to us. And so if it's someone who is struggling with school, to be able to trust someone enough to be able to say, gosh, this is really where my fears are, and this is what's really scary for me, and this is what I'm really struggling with, to tell you that truth, then I think there's a chance for them to begin to understand what what really is stopping me what is really in my way and what i believe after having done this for a while is that each person each of us has everything we need in our in ourselves to deal with whatever issue comes up but i don't always know how to access that and so part of my job as a counselor is to help someone feel safe enough to get to those things and recognize what the real issue is and then to recognize how i want to get Move forward from that, and I don't think that comes easily. I don't think that comes in thirty minutes. I don't think that comes in one or two sessions. I think it comes over time with building a trusting, safe environment so someone can actually get to those issues. And um, you know, we we have professional counselors that do this who are trained in specific ways because the concerns that people come up with are more uh, challenging and more complicated. But the truth is, all of us have been talking to trusted people all our lives, and we've been going to them when we needed help. And And I think that's what I would tell anyone. A counselor is someone that gives you a, a trusted, safe place to be, to tell your story, and to try to understand, and, and to be known a little bit. So that's a kind of a convoluted answer, but that's kind of what, that's what I think it is. I, I don't think it's scary, I think it's just talking to someone who wants to get to know you better.
1: Sure well and it are there different types of counseling i mean i guess you know if somebody's saying hey i've got something i want to talk to somebody about what kinds mm-hmm. of counseling are there that they may be interested in
2: well and that's the interesting thing if you go if you go on a college campus lots of people have the counsel have the title of counselor mm-hmm. and so uh, you might go to someone in the career center who's a career counselor who's who's trained to help people make decisions About what they want to do with their professional life and how do they want to choose a major and how do they want to take that major into making decisions about a career and helping them with a resume and cover letters and interviews and things that are related to that. We have academic counselors who work specifically with people who uh, are struggling with with some aspect of being a student and maybe they need help in learning some of the study skills that are successful or how to get better organized or how to. uh, Approach a textbook more effectively, or how to get a schedule, and so that that person that's trained specifically can can do that. Uh, we have personal counselors, mental health counselors, who are going to talk about issues that are more affecting the individual's whole life. So that may be talking about relationships in their lives, or they may be talking about some personal angst or depression or some kind of experience that they're having. Uh, but we also see people that are skilled in things like financial aid, and so our our Office of Financial Aid is going to talk with someone about how do you make good decisions about how do you know what loans to take out and how to do that. Uh, We have, you know, counselors in, uh, you know, in some ways, when you go to the the health center, the person there is providing some counsel for you about how to make better decisions about your physical well-being and that sort of thing. Um, We've got counselors that deal specifically with issues related to maybe alcohol and drugs and addictions or eating disorders or things of that nature. Um, we've got marriage and family counselors you can go to when your, your relationship specifically is struggling. So, and one of the interesting things about higher ed that I've seen over the time is we went from a place where we just had people in, in student affairs who tried to deal with things to recognizing that college students bring all of these issues. And we've got to have professionals who are trained to help our college students navigate whatever those specific issues may be, because there are a lot of things that get in a student's way that help them from being successful in the classroom. And sometimes it's an academic issue, but more often than not, it's something that's affecting them as a person. And so we've got to help them navigate that so they can be successful. So, you know, those are just some of the things I'd say.
0: So, what would you say is your favorite aspect of counseling? Yeah, <clears throat> that's a great thing, Jeremy. I, I I think the thing that I
2: have come to really love the most is the idea of of, of sitting with someone and getting to know their story. And <clears throat> someone said this a long time ago, and, and I just think it's really true. If you let yourself really get to know and become involved with someone else as a, as a counselor or the client you just can't help but love that person. And you get their story and it's like, oh my gosh, and you see them in a way that you've never seen them before. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's really amazing like that is that people will trust you enough and really honor you with their story. One of the things that still, I mean, it's happened to me lots of times, but it still just gives me chills is someone will say, I've never said this to anyone else before. Mm -hmm. And, And I think, gosh, that's amazing. Here's someone who might be, 65 years old and they're saying this is a story I've been hanging on to all my life. Mm-hmm. And now I feel safe enough to tell it. That is such an honor. It's such a privilege. <laughs> and to be with people in those vulnerable times, I don't know, for some reason that's just really, um, it just moves me. It energizes me. It it makes, it, it, it. what it feels like to me is I'm doing something I'm kind of supposed to do. You know, as someone who's never known what he was supposed to say, uh, it's, it really feels like, um, it, it, somehow it feels like it's a, 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 it connects to me really personally. The other thing that I I tell I try to tell my clients, but it's true, I get so much out of being in the room with people because they are telling me their stories. They're telling me their struggles. They're telling me with how they got through things in their life. And first of all, it's like, oh my gosh, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. And, I, and it always connects to something personal for me. And I'm thinking, man, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so after I sit with someone, and they tell me their story. Not only do I not ever see them the same, I don't really see myself the same because I'm changed about that interaction too. And to me, that's just, <laughs> it's really remarkable. It's really an amazing thing. And, and often I'll find myself thinking, gosh, it's just, that's just crazy that I'm in that place and people share those things with me. And it feels just like a, uh, like I said, it feels like an honor. It feels like a privilege. And so that's, that's always the part that's most interesting to me. And uh, so that's, I think that's the part that draws me into the experience more and that's what makes it fresh. Cause every, every time it's different. And you know? even if you've seen somebody 50 times, it's not the same. They're not the, their story's not the same.
1: And knowing that you have a lot of experience as a counselor, do you have a theoretical approach that you draw on? I mean, what is your personal counseling approach? Would you say?
2: <clears throat> that's a great thing, you know, Rebecca. And I think, especially early on in our training, we got to figure out what our theoretical orientation is. and Who's the person, that, you know, and, and I think for, you know, for me, I got exposed to a lot of different stuff that I liked. Uh, you know, I think like most people, I really liked the Carl Rogers work and how we talked about the person centered thing, but I also got exposed to a whole lot of uh, William Glasser's work with choice theory and reality therapy. And that was interesting to me. Uh, I've liked some of Carl Jung's things about the um, some of the concepts that he puts together after running around doing this for a while um, when I answer that question now what I find is I I don't I don't know that I could say oh I'm following this particular theoretical orientation I'd like to think that I maybe have learned skills from different uh, techniques that might be useful to me but but honestly when i'm sitting with a client now the thing that i'm trying most to do is to be as fully present with them in the moment as i can be cuz it's so easy to get distracted by everything so i really want to be as present with them and i really want to hear their story and what i really want to do is to see what i can do to get to know that person as deeply as i can uh, you know, so very it's, I'm very relational oriented, but I'm also really trying to um, I try to listen to what the themes are that they're telling me and how that connects to something larger um, and and that's really interesting to me um, so I think that's what I have really tried to focus on is how how can I remember regardless of what they're putting in front of me, no matter what the issue is how can I not become distracted by their depression or their anxiety or their, whatever this diagnosis is. And how can I remember I'm sitting in the room with a human being Mm -hmm. and I want to be in a relationship with them and how can I be as present with them and fully hear their story and, and get to know them. I'm a person who asks, likes to ask lots of questions. I like to ask kind of what the meaning is for something people. And so them to try to understand that a bit better. Um, I'm probably more interested in those larger concepts than, you know, trying to come up with a three-step plan to help someone make a change. But to me, I think if I have a chance to be successful some, with someone, it'll be because I've developed a connection with them and a relationship with them. And they come and when they sit with me, they feel like this, I really want to know them. So not really a great answer. I would have got that wrong on the test, I think, but anyway, <laughs> that's, that kinda, that's what makes the most sense to me. Frankly, that's what, I, that's what I would say I end up trying to do. And, and I found it it becomes. I'm, I think the process has become simpler for me, more difficult in some ways, but I've tried to make it as simple as I can.
0: So, so speaking about training, each sure. profession has their own path you have to follow. So right. you tell us what is the basic path someone needs to follow to become a counselor?
2: Right. And, you know, Jeremy, like anything else, it's amazing how once you get into details, it gets so complicated, you know, right. because people are like, now, are you a psychologist? I'm like, right. well, kind of, but are you, well, you're a therapist. You know, So, so one of the things, first of all, that's confusing is the term counselor and therapist is, can be used as a real broad sense of anyone who sits across from someone and tries to help them work on their concerns. Um, but, <clears throat> in every state in the United States, the term counselor is a protected term. So, if I wanted to become a professional counselor, a licensed professional counselor, and that's the that's the acronym for us and an LPC, um, then there's a the specific way that that goes about it. It is not completely uniform in every state. It's mm-hmm. becoming more so, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, in, in Mississippi, and Mississippi's, you know, fairly similar to most states. But uh, first of all, there's an academic requirement. You're going to have to have at least a master's degree. And, uh, and and that master's degree is going to have to have at least 60 hours of coursework. And it's going to have to co- cover a specific classes. There's 10 or 12 different areas. So you've got to have a very specific curriculum and make sure that you've got training in very specific classes. So you do the academic portion of it. Then there's also... Um, you know, counseling is interesting because it's really, in many ways, it's like a trade that you're learning. It's like you're, you're, you, tra- you get all this training and the academic notions about it and the theoretical stuff about it, but you really have to have a skill that you've got to be able to practice. <clears throat> and so in order to, to show that you can do that, you have to demonstrate that by doing hours and call it practicum and internships. So uh, students got to spend uh, 600, 700 hours uh, under supervision, uh, as a part of their academic training, just to show that they can actually do it. So, if you're going through the training, you've got to make videos of yourself doing the counseling. You've got to show that you, you can demonstrate it. So, what we're not, not only are we saying you passed the class, but we're saying you've demonstrated that you have a skill that you can, you can utilize. So we do that. So, once a person has the degree, then there's a, then they have to get licensed by a particular state. And uh, this is uh, not any different than getting a medical license or getting a law license or anything like that. It's regulated by each individual state. So if you're going to get licensed to be a professional counselor in, a, in the state of Mississippi, there's a board that oversees that license and they have specific guidelines that you have to do. Again, the first one of those is you've got to, uh, uh satisfy the academic requirements <clears throat> and then you have to show that you can actually practice that. So, to be a counselor in Mississippi right now, once you have your degree, after you finish your master's degree, you have to do 3000 hours of supervised work. Wow. So you start thinking, yeah, you do the math on that. So if you work 40 hours a week times 50 weeks, that's 2000. So it takes a year and a half if you're working full time and you have to be supervised by someone who has credentials mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to, that shows that they can be a supervisor. And so, so if I'm gonna get my license, I get my degree, and then I've done a lot of stuff. Then I, then I have to uh, register with the board, and then I have to find a licensed, uh, a, a supervisor who's certified by the state. So I might go talk to Rebecca and say, "Hey, would you be my supervisor?" And she would say, "No way, I'm going to do that for you." But, but I would find a supervisor, and then uh, once, once a week, I would meet with her, and, and we'd talk about what I'm doing. And so for a year and a half, she would meet with me on a weekly basis. And essentially what she's saying is this person has the skills necessary. This person is, is not only have they got the academic requirements, they've also, uh, you know, they've shown that they can, that they have a skill level that does it. Then there's also a test that you have to pass that uh, the state of Mississippi has It essentially shows that you can, you have ability to do that. So for most people, you finish a master's degree, you have about two years of supervision following that degree you pass this exam, and if you do all that sort of stuff, and then you send everything in, and you check all the boxes properly, at that point, then you can be a, a licensed professional counselor in, in the state of Mississippi, in some of states. And I think part of what we want to try to say is uh, this is a degree. This is not. It's, it's not just somebody who's a pal sitting there having coffee with you. It's a person who's gone through a lot of training, someone who has a lot of ability, and that they have to demonstrate that. Um, and then once you get a license, you have to renew that license every two years, you have to take a certain number of continuing education. So the idea is we want you to know, so if, if you're seeking out a counselor and you see someone that has that credential, they're a licensed counselor, you know that you're getting someone who has a particular level of, of uh, not only academic credentials, but experience and they've been supervised and you can trust them and you're going to get good quality care. And that's an ongoing thing. So it's, a uh, it's a little bit of a long, it's a long, uh, no a long oh, yeah, it is. And frankly, you know, uh, if you want to do it, it's, it's a pretty big commitment because from the day you start your master's degree until you've got your, uh, your license, the fastest you can probably do that's about four years. So it's not a, it's not a small commitment um, to be able to do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned supervision. It's Supervision is right. an important part of the process. Um, does your, approach to supervision differ than your approach to being a counselor? Are they pretty similar? What does that look like?
2: Yeah, that's a really good point, Rebecca, because you're right. Supervision is such a critical aspect of what we're doing. Uh, and I think that's probably true in any profession, but I think it's particularly true in ours. Um, my, my, I guess my overarching concept about supervision are pretty similar or share a lot of the same ideas that I have about counseling. Uh, Someone said this, and I really, I've hung on to this. I think supervision to be successful, I think I, as a supervisor, I have to create a space so that my supervisee feels like they can tell me the truth. So what does that mean? That means if they really screwed up with a client and they felt like, oh my gosh, I completely lost my mind or did something like that, that they feel safe enough to tell me that they're struggling. Not to say, I'm just going to tell you what I think you want to hear so you'll check off but that we will have an honest enough relationship that they can genuinely talk to me about what they need help with. And I won't do that. And having been supervised a ton, I'm not going to tell my supervisor something if I'm afraid, if I think, Oh my gosh, they're going to bite my head off, or they're going to think I'm stupid. Or, you know, if I, if I admit that I'm human and I'm struggling with this, that they're going to immediately, you know, uh, label me in some way. So if I've, created a safe enough place that my supervisee can tell the truth then I think what happens is we have a chance for the for, for the supervisor and the supervisee to have a, a, a productive relationship so there could be some real growth because I think my job as a supervisor is to help that person find their voice so if you know Rebecca's not the same you're not the same counselor that I am And so if I'm a successful supervisor, I don't need to get you to try to sound like me. I need you to get to sound like Rebecca. And I think if you trust me and you feel safe, then you can find your voice. You can, you can struggle with that a little bit and you can wrestle around with it and try to find it. And I think when you're acting most like yourself, I think that's when you do your best work Mm -hmm. when you're doing it in the way that you would do it. But it's hard to do that because, you know, I want to please people. I want you to like me and that sort of thing. And, uh, so that's part of it. The biggest struggle for me as a supervisor, frankly, is is telling somebody what I think of as kind of bad news or when they're struggling, when I need to point out a, ch- a place where they have growth. And and that's a place that I've, I always struggle. I'm, I'm really good at telling you that you're doing a great job, but the idea is saying, okay, here's a place where you need to do some more work. That's, that's a place that I don't do as well. So, uh, I've got to be able to tell the truth too, you know, as a supervisor. And so, uh, but I think supervision is really, a, it gets back to that idea of having a, a safe, trusting relationship where the supervisee can be vulnerable. So if is there
0: a difference between being a supervisor and a manager in counseling? A really good point. Yeah, there is. Um, that's a
2: great point, uh, Jeremy. I, for for a, a big part of my career, uh, I was in a place where I was managing other counselors, and so I think of managing as more kind of professional responsibilities that you have to do and and take care of that. Supervision in our, in the counseling world, is a really specific role. Uh, Usually someone who is designated, so if I'm gonna go work someplace and I need a supervisor, and Rebecca's my, Rebecca is my supervisor, and then we have a very specific role that we play together. And so I, there are expectations that I have of her. Now, <clears throat> as a manager, uh, I think I want to do some of the same things. I think I want to create a safe relationship. I want to be able to, I want the people that I'm managing to feel comfortable and to feel like they, I'm on their side and that we can uh, have honest conversations around it. <clears throat> but the supervision has a very specific uh, thing that we're trying to get to. Also, um, in our world, the supervision is, there's a real clinical element to that. So if super, if, if uh, Rebecca's my supervisor, I'm going to be telling her about intimate things that, will, uh, that went on in a client session, and I'm going to be re- t- talking to her about that, and she's going to be a part of that with me. And right. so the client confidentiality extends to her. As right. a manager, yes, yeah, so but if, if i'm your manager if you're you know if you're if i'm the director somewhere and you're one of the counselors working for me part of my management may not be well tell me what we know about that client but it may be okay we need to talk about your schedule and how many people you're seeing and how do we help you how do you help you be more successful so i think managing again has some of the same roles as supervision mm-hmm. i think just as a supervisor I, I don't want you to be a i don't want you to be afraid i don't want you to be intimidated i want i want us to be on the same side of the fence but the role the, the role can be a little bit different. Um, but it's interesting because sometimes you have both roles because mm-hmm. there are times when I, I was providing direct supervision for people that I was also their manager in terms of their, their workplace. And I think that can get a little complicated, you know, because sometimes those roles overlap a little bit. And trying to figure out where those boundaries are can be a little bit of a challenge, you know. Yeah. So. But I think think that's a really, really good point though.
1: Yeah. And getting back to, I'm thinking, you know, kind of getting back to the start of our conversation when it comes to college students, because I know you've worked with college students for a long time and Mm -hmm. in a lot of different capacities, but especially counseling. And, you know, we operate and, and help students from an academic support context, students who come in and a lot of times parents who say, okay, can you help this person or that person, my son or daughter, with navigating college. Um, And a lot of times, like you mentioned, and I I wanted to kind of emphasize this point too, or to kind of pick your brain about this point, a lot of the times when students are having academic problems, it's not so much, of course, study skills are just hard to to know in advance anyhow, but study skills are just a small component of that picture. And sometimes we find students have been through some some difficult stuff. Um, What exactly is trauma? And, and do you think that impacts how college students perform in their academic environment?
2: And you, Rebecca, you make such a great point. Um, you know, a parent wants to say, well, why isn't, why isn't Ralph passing biology, what's the problem here? You know, how, how come he's not a good math student, that sort of thing. And and you're right, I think so often the issue is more, more than just academic performance. Um, Trauma is a term that we get you know, gets tossed around lots of different ways. Um, one of the things when I think about trauma is, first of all, it's so individual. You and I may have the same experience. We may experience the same event. And it may be traumatic for me. It may be overwhelming to me. It may impact me in a very strong way and maybe a negative way. And it may not have that same impact on you. So I think trauma for me in probably a more general way is it's an any experience that we have as an individual that in some way sort of overwhelms our ability to cope with it effectively. And it affects our whole person. It affects our ability to think clearly. It affects our emotions. It has an th- effect on our physiology. And <clears throat> there are the folks who, who study trauma all the time, sometimes talk about big T trauma and little T trauma, you know, and I think sometimes we have a tendency to think, Oh, it's a trauma. It must be something terrible. You know, somebody was in a horrible automobile accident, or uh, they had a death in the family, or somebody was in a, you know, a war, or they had something like that. And those, those are huge traumas. But I think working with college students, something to, that's really important, and something that I tried to do, was to recognize that just the experience of being in college can, can be traumatic for an individual. So let's think about a freshman who's coming to college. You guys are going to have a bunch of those showing up on your door here in just a few minutes. (laughs) What do you think about that? So here's somebody who's coming to a place they've never been before, never lived before. Maybe they're moving away from home for the first time. Most of them are probably sharing a room with someone for the first time. May or may not be somebody that they've ever known. Uh, They're taking classes from teachers that they don't know. Many of them went to schools where they went into every class and they knew everybody in there. And now they're going to walk into a class and not know anybody. A lot of them came and they were, they were good students. They did really, really well. And they're used to being successful. Also, they had identities where they were. They were, they wrote for the newspaper or the school paper, or they were on the band or the cheerleader, or they were in the science club, or they did, they had an identity. And now all of a sudden they come to college and they're just one of the masses. Maybe they grew up in a small town where there were two, you know, 100 people in there uh, in their graduating class, and now they're in a class that has more people in it than that. All of those things, they're having to learn to do things they've never done before, like their laundry. They've got to take care of their meals themselves. They've got to manage their time. And they're doing that separated from their, uh, from their support system, whether it's family or their close friends. There's so much change. And so you think about all those deals. Well, some kids thrive in that. They're like, oh, this is exciting, you know, and they're doing well. But I think most of us struggle with trying to adjust to that change. And for some students, just that, that creates trauma for them that they don't, they don't manage very well. There used to being the best math student. Well, I'll use myself as an example. So I went to a small high school and when I, uh, I did okay in math. And so, my advisor said, well, you ought to just skip the college algebra and go right into this, you know, calculus class. And I'm like, well, sure, because, you know, I'm, you know, really, really smart. Well, I was so lost in that. Yeah, I was lost as I could be from the first day in that class. And I felt stupid in that class every day. And I would go meet with the teacher and try to do stuff. And I just struggled. Every day in that class, and the and the teacher felt sorry for me and gave me a D, so he would never have to see me again. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and here's the thing: I was a decent math student. I never took another math class again in college. And so, was it trauma for me? Yeah, it kind of was. It kind of was because I thought I thought yeah, I know what I'm doing. I know this math stuff, and I just felt so dumb. Well, <clears throat> you take any kid and put them in a situation where. They're used to being successful. They're used to doing well, used to have an identity. And man, all of a sudden that's gone from them. And now they don't have that. And so is that the same as having just experienced a death in a family? No, we're putting it on the you know the scale. But to that individual, to that student who's trying to figure out how to make it, that's so overwhelming for them. Yeah. And what skills do they have? You know, I, I say this to kids a lot of times, if you, if you grew up in a, sim, in a town you lived there most of your life, you probably never learned how to make friends because they, you always had friends around and you didn't have to worry right. about it and all of a sudden I got to figure out how am I, I going to make friends with people I'm living with somebody I don't even you know know like i said you know, I'm, I have a roommate who was raised by wolves. What do I do? you know how do I adjust to that and you know and so it's it's uh it's it's uh, it's hard, and so what I would say is there are so many things that create a traumatic experience for our students. And it's not most often, it's not one event, but it's the cumulative experience. And you guys know this, you talk to a freshman and they're, you know, they're kind of like the first couple of weeks of school is like, Hey, I'm making it okay. I'm a little homesick, but I'm making it okay. But then after midterms, they may just feel completely overwhelmed because they just kind of get beaten up by it through the whole semester. Now, some people, again, they get over it and they do well. But I think what we've got to recognize is that the trauma, can be a lot of small things that add up over time. It can be not ability, not having the ability to adjust to change very well. It can be not having ad- adapted to learn how to develop many coping skills. You know, if you grew up in a family where you, your, your folks took care of a lot of things for you, which I know we have a lot of students who do that, and they never had to learn how to, to manage things for themselves, not being able to do that is, uh, can be tough. Also, we have kids who come and have not really faced uh, failure or rejection very much and suddenly they feel like they're not doing well whatever it may be they didn't get into the right group they didn't uh, they don't have this uh, support system so i think part of what we have to do when working with colleges no matter what it is is we have to recognize that just the experience of being in college can provide some trauma for them and they may be completely overwhelmed by that and as a result they're not putting the work in they shut down they you know, show up in class but they're not there they they uh, don't know how to prepare well and so a kid who maybe is not a bad student all that uh, experience means they just can't focus in class or they shut down completely and they just they don't go anymore they don't do well Um, so yeah i think the trauma doesn't have to be you know a life-altering experience but it can be those those adjustments to all those changes and that can happen to somebody who's a junior or senior you know, who's used to being doing pretty well. And all of a sudden they run into a wall and it's like, oh my gosh, what happened? Or as all of you know, you got a, a gal or a guy who's been doing pretty well. And then they, something happens, They have a breakup, you know, in a relationship. And all of a sudden that's all they can think about. And then they can't, they can't focus in class. And people say, well, you know, that's just a break. Well, you know, if that was the person you thought you were going to spend your life with, and then that fell apart, it can, make a, it can make a huge difference. So I think part of what we're looking at with college students is helping them adjust to those things that happen that are traumatic for them and that they don't have the skills for and how do we help them navigate that and, and, and really tap into those strengths that they they haven't had to utilize before. I don't know if I'm answering your question very well or not. Well,
1: that's, that's very helpful because I think sometimes students feel like oh well if I ask a, a question it's gonna sound silly. And I, I always exactly. try to tell students like, you know, there's no such thing as a silly question. I mean, I think it's just hard for them to know there's a lot of other people, whether they're freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors, that are going through maybe similar stuff, but aren't necessarily showing it.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think you're so right, Rebecca, because I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to look vulnerable. I don't want to look dumb. I don't want to look weak, you know, and so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and not ask for any help. And, uh, until it's, um, you know, until you really can't do it. So I, I think you're so right. Uh, it looks like everybody else has got it figured out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I usually say this, that there are two kinds of students, the ones who are homesick and the ones who lie about it, And I think everybody gets homesick at some point or another. But that's one of the things if you say that it makes you sound like you're stupid. Well, I think you're right. I can, what, what happens when I, if I can't ask for help, if I can't tell people I'm struggling, my gosh, that's a scary That's a scary place to be, you know. Right.
0: Yeah. So aside from counselor, supervisor, and mentor, talking about teaching, you're also a professor on campus. That's true. So could you tell us about some of the classes that you teach and your approach to those classes? Sure.
2: I've been like i said i'll go back to being a lucky guy i've been really fortunate because i've gotten a chance to 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 be involved one of the great things that happened to me at, at in my career in higher ed is i've gotten a chance to to be in the classroom which i've i've turned out to like a lot mm-hmm. um, and i was I, I i've taught several different kinds of undergrad classes i've taught the uh, taught the study skills class uh the one o one class i've taught the EDHE one oh five class so i guess i've taught the the one four is it two oh whatever for the three hundred anyway, I've, I've, and I've taught the uh, intro to career classes. I guess is that the two or three hundred level of those. Mm-hmm. The numbers have changed, but uh, but I've taught those. Uh, and then as a, in graduate school, I've gotten to teach quite a few classes uh, as it relates to counseling. Whether it's the counseling theories, I've taught career counseling. I've taught group counseling. Um, uh i've gotten a chance actually for a while i got a chance to work in communicative disorders and they asked me to come over and teach some classes about um uh counseling theories there um i uh, taught the diagnostics class i've taught internship and practicum and um so quite a few classes but it's been it's been really interesting so yeah i've, had, I've, I've, I've been really fortunate because i've got a chance to work from First semester freshmen to doctoral students, right? And that's real. That's been really, really interesting to see it. <clears throat> and so, um, so was your question sort of like, what do I do in the classroom? Is that
0: kind of right? So, what's your approach to? I mean, you've got you run the gamut of freshmen to doc students. So, how do you take each right. class and make it a showalter class? Right. Yeah.
2: Well, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when I when I was when I started out undergrad, I was teaching. I thought I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher, mm-hmm. and so I've taught kids as young as four years old in the classroom. And now I've taught adults and stuff like that. And what I think, Jeremy, is whether it's first semester freshmen or doctoral students in their last semester, or frankly preschoolers. I think in many ways, they're a lot more similar than they are different. Right. I think one of the things, first of all, I think the students want to know that you care about them. Mm-hmm. Do you do you care about me as an individual? Do you know who I am? Is there something about me that helps them you to see that you see me? And so <clears throat> one of the things I try to do is to figure out how I can know my students. And so for me, I think... I think my responsibility is to figure out how do I see them as individuals? How do I see something about them that's different? So, that may mean that with undergraduate students, you know, before class starts, I may ask them about you know, what they did over the weekend or what their hobbies are or where they live. Do they have brothers and sisters? Do they like pets? And those may sound just like sort of, you know, chit chat kind of questions. But I think part of what I'm doing is I'm getting to know you. And if I found out that Jeremy likes to play guitar, then maybe that's something that we can uh, talk about. And if I say, hey, I was in a guitar store last weekend, Jeremy, and I saw this thing, suddenly you're you're not just another kid in the class. You're a kid that I recognize. And so I think think you want to be seen. I think the other piece of that is I need to figure out how do I reach you? Mm -hmm. Because I think my responsibility is not to say, I'm just this purveyor of great information. I'm this fount of wisdom, and you just drink from this, and if you can't, then somehow, you know, that's your fault. I think, I think if I'm going to be an effective teacher, I've got to recognize that the way Jeremy takes this information in is not the same way Rebecca does. And so I've got to figure out how can I say the same thing in a way that Jeremy can hear it? Can I present And that may not be the same way that Rebecca can hear it. And so I think part of my responsibility is saying, how do I, do that how do I learn that a little bit about you and part of that means I've got it and and that's you know I've taught some really big classes and that's almost impossible but I think when I've had if I've had any success it's because I've got a chance to know that you know the way that Jeremy does best is when he and I talk on an individual basis one after after class or something Mm -hmm. or uh, I make sure that he gets uh, some really specific examples that are real tangible because that's the way he likes to take it in Oh, or I connect it to something that I know Rebecca cares about and that, or by saying that, you know, we have something in common, then Rebecca begins to think, Oh, well, then Dr. Show likes me a little bit. So maybe I can feel a little more ease. So I think part of it is, is recognizing that you know, they want to know you care about them. I also want to make sure that I never do anything in my class that embarrasses a student, mm-hmm. which, and I think back about all the times that I've been embarrassed and I've been afraid in class. And I know I never learned anything when I was afraid. And I am sure that there's a million times that I've done something that embarrassed the student (laughs) and made them feel afraid, but I'm sure I have. But my goal is to say, can I do something so that when you come in this classroom, like you were saying, Rebecca, not a silly question. I want my students to recognize whatever they say to me, that we may laugh about it. We may, you know, we may, we may be lighthearted about it, but I'm not going to make fun of you. I'm not going to be disrespectful to you. I'm not going to treat you in a way that puts you in a fearful place or that somehow says, you know, because you're vulnerable right now, you don't happen to know something or you didn't do it. That when you're in that vulnerable place and as students were pretty vulnerable, you know, that I treated you with respect and I treated you with maybe some kindness, maybe some compassion. My hope is then that you'll trust me a little bit more. And I think if you trust me and think I care about you, then I think I have a chance to have some influence with you. So part of what I want to do, Jeremy, is not say, I mean, because I don't really think of myself as much of an academic. I'm not sure I've got all this, you know, great information to share. <clears throat> but what I hope I can do is to say, I care about you and I think you're important. And as a result, maybe I can have some influence on you. I mean, you if you're in school, you can probably read, you know, so you're probably can figure some of this stuff out. But how do I how do I say? how do I help create that space that you want to know maybe what I'm, what I'm trying to talk to you about or that you know that I care about you. So I think I'm always about trying to create an environment in my classes that feels, again, I get going back to that same word that feels tra- safe and trusting. that feels like a place where people can be themselves, that they can be respected. Um, and they can see, they can feel known a little bit. So, um, I want it to be fun. I want us to be able to have some fun with each other. I want them to kind get to know me a little bit as much as they want to. Um, you know, I, I want them to see me as a real person. I think they'll probably, you know, if I make a mistake, I want to make sure they know that. I want to be willing to apologize to students. I want to be willing to help hold them accountable, but also realize I can drop the ball too. And I've always felt like I'm working for my students. It's like, I, you know, they bought this class from the university of Mississippi and I'm here now I'm not their sales representative. And so I need to figure out how to, to give them their money's worth. And, um, so that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to create a space for, and if that happens, then I think, I think I've been successful. Um, I don't know. Again, I don't know how many students you can find who say, "Oh, I remember Dr. Schulz taught me this." (laughs) That's where they can find it. But you might be able to find one or two who said, "I think that Schulz guy cared about me a little bit." Mm -hmm. And to me, if I'm able to do that, that's that's probably my that's that's my bigger goal, frankly. And um, so I think that I think that's what I have to offer them more than some brilliance, you know. Well, we appreciate
1: your expertise and your wisdom and we've got a couple gotcha. of brown questions for you Here. which we thought we'd kind of throw you a couple curveballs no I'm just kidding but <laughs> it, we are interested in knowing you know speaking of college we've talked about college students we've talked about a lot of great stuff what about you as a college student what was your freshman year like Dr. Sherwalter's freshman year paint us a picture
2: man well oh. <laughs> first it's hard. It's going to be hard for you to believe this, Rebecca, but I was more lost then than I am now. <laughs> I know that's shocking. I had no idea, no idea what I wanted to do, no idea what I was doing. I, I shouldn't even have been in college. I should have been somewhere, you know, working at a quick stop or something because I was not ready. And um, it turned out I, I went to a small college that was in the same town where my parents lived, so I actually lived with my folks my freshman year. And in retrospect. I think I would have been better off if I had not done that. But having done that, I, uh, I, was, uh, I did not know what I was doing in class. I was not a serious student at all. I did not do very well. Uh, I had a really good time. I had a lot of friends, you know. I, I was really, uh, you know, probably more in, in involved in trying to uh, get to know people. I was incredibly insecure, incredibly self-conscious you know felt awkward most of the time i really wanted people to like me so as a result i was incredible you know incredibly overbearing and stuff like that so i just i remember feeling afraid a lot and sort of lost and trying not to make sure trying to make sure nobody knew, knew that uh you know i was uh awkward and geeky and uh uh you know a, a, a below average student so you know i paint a pretty good picture there i would say and <laughs> and i and I got through it because there were people. People were very nice to me. Uh, but uh, I, I, I did, there were very few things about my academic career as a freshman that I would hold up as uh, uh, any kind of uh,
0: model. So, who is someone that you would say inspired you during your undergraduate career?
2: Uh, that's a great, great question, Jeremy. Um, you know, I, I made a slight reference to this. When I was about a sophomore, I guess, I changed my major to elementary education Mm -hmm. and I had to take a class in special ed. I didn't know anything about special ed at the time. Uh, And there was a lady whose name was Lois Brown, who was the teacher of that class. Eccentric, sort of an odd character. But for whatever reason, she was so kind to me and took an interest in me, uh, invited me to come to her office. Uh, You know, We had a lot of great conversations. But there was something about her presence with me that gave me the sense, and again, I guess, probably when I what I said about my own philosophy as a teacher, she really cared about me. And I was, again, not a good student, lost as a goose, and she had no reason to treat me well, you know, mm-hmm. other than that she just wanted to. And so she was an incredible inspiration to me. I changed my major to special ed after that one semester. Took every class from her I could. Uh, She was just so good to me. And like I said, on the surface, there was nothing that we should have had in common. (laughs) She was, again, an odd kind of eccentric kind of person, you know. But in her presence, I felt capable. I felt like I could do something. And I didn't remember ever feeling that way in school, especially at that point in college. And I know I wanted more of that. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't, and I probably couldn't have told you that at the time, but as I thought back about it as an undergraduate, she was by far the most influential teacher that I had. I know I never told her that. And I regret that because I would, I wish she knew that because uh, so much of what I think I have done in my career was influenced by that woman. And I'm guessing she she doesn't even, if she's still living, she probably couldn't remember me, couldn't put me out of a lineup. But, uh, but, she was an incredible influence on me. And um, again, I just was so grateful to her and so thankful to her.
0: Mm-hmm. So, the last question we have for you Do you have any advice for anyone who wants to be a counselor?
2: Whew, yeah, let's see. <laughs> First of Where all, do you start? <laughs> it is the road to financial riches, you will make a million dollars. Um, Here's what, here's the thing. Um, First of all, uh, it was, it has turned out to be an amazing career for me. And it was a great fit for me. Uh, But what I would tell somebody is if you think you want to be a counselor, you need to be prepared for the fact that sitting in the room with people and going through the process of trying to learn it is going to change you. You're going to have to look at yourself. You're going to have to examine parts of yourself. You're not really excited about seeing. And uh, you you won't see the world the same. You won't see yourself or the world the same after doing this. And that's there are a lot of careers that don't do that. They don't ask you to bring your whole self every day to the business. and And to be, I think, the way I've done it, To have a chance of being an effective counselor, I think you need to be prepared for that. And I don't think we do a great job in our training programs of of preparing students for that, of how it's going to affect you personally and what it's going to have. So I would say be prepared for that and the way it's going to, things that are in your life, things that you, uh, issues you might have, things you might struggle with, those are going to come to the surface Mm -hmm. and you're probably going to have to figure out how to address those. And you may know, parts, you know, lots of the parts of myself, I don't like looking at, and they keep coming back again and again. Um, let's say that. the other thing I would say is, uh, it is a role, it is a, it is a, job where every day, you leave the end of the day thinking, you know, I think I'm, I may have had an impact on the world today. I may have made a difference. It's how you two feel when you work with students every day. Mm-hmm. It's that idea that, you know, I think I did something that made a difference today. You can't always tell what it is. It's not like Nathaniel and two boards together that you had an impact on someone's life and that's that's a remarkable thing it really is that's a that is a that's an amazing thing uh, and, and frankly i almost think of it as kind of a sacred thing that we have this opportunity to really be uh involved in people's lives at vulnerable times for them and uh you know uh when i think about this lady this teacher you asked me about i, I love how i feel when i think about her and what she did for me it would, you know, I'm, I am, uh, I would love to think I might have had an impact on some some student in my life that did something like that. Uh, so I think as a counselor, you might have that opportunity. So,
0: yeah. Well, Dr. So it's Sherwell, not a bad thank you job. So much. We yes, really appreciate I- you being a guest on the Chit Chat for Rebecca Ryson. I'm Jeremy Roberts. Thank you so much for watching this episode. We'll see you next time. Bye.